So today is October 3rd, 2023. So yeah, you're getting an extra episode this week. But don't worry, I'll be back on Saturday to release another episode. Now, I've been beating the drum periodically throughout this podcast that I don't think the economy is in real great shape. Last week, Jerome Powell, our U.S. Fed chair, he came out and said that there were five economic shocks coming to the U.S. economy. The first is the national debt reaching $33 trillion. I mean, what's $33 trillion be- between friends, right? Uh, the oil is going to start heading north of $150 a barrel, so that should make filling up your car really affordable. The United Auto Workers strike, which means getting a new car or parts, is going to get more expensive. Student loan repayments are starting back up, and mortgage rates are hitting nearly 8%. And just as a side note, right now, uh, the Dow is down nearly 400 points, 388.65, and it's continuing to slide as it did last week. Now, because I'm not an economist, I have Kelsey Williams back on the podcast to talk about the three most likely scenarios that could happen to the economy in the coming year. We look at what could trigger those events and what conditions on the ground would look like. We then finish up by talking about a a very unique and what I believe to be a worthwhile service Kelsey is offering to help you make the best financial decisions for you and your family. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Kelsey, so when I talked to you like last week, I was on the road. I was somewhere, I want to say I was in like Minnesota. But uh, as as I was talking to you, um, you've been busy, my man. You've been picked up by a couple places as far as some of your writings and stuff and you're you're getting out there you're getting after it it's got to feel good well i'm getting a little exposure that i i i want and need it's it's you know as i can expand my presence out there i feel good about it and it and it's primarily uh you know when someone takes the time to ask a question or uh uh you know submit some kind of a response 
then I know, you know, I'm, I'm having an impact because it's causing people to think. And, uh, you know, that's why I do it. You know, I want people to hear a side of things that they might not have thought about. And I also want them to uh, um, understand the fundamentals a little better so that they don't run off thinking something is one way and then take action on that assumption and find out that wasn't really the way it was. So, and I, I, you know, what I really like is somebody, you know, some of the professionals that are in this field and they call and say, we would like you to uh, write articles and, and submit it to us and we'll post them on our website. And so, so that's, that's really, uh, you know, I guess uh, the bigger part of my activity and what I'm doing and uh, it's fun. I yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, no, totally. And like, okay, for everybody else out, you know, every all my listeners, Kelsey's got to get sick of hearing from me. Because like, there are times that I, I'll read something on the economy that just like, I, I don't understand. And so like, I'm constantly like, what is this? And Kelsey's like, okay, bro, let's go over this again. So if there's one thing I can say for Kelsey, a couple things. One, he's wicked smart when it comes to this. The, the the economy and gold and all, all that sort of stuff. Just wicked smart. The other thing is, is obviously because I bug him, he's super patient. And then three, he explains this stuff in a way that even I can understand. And that's why I enjoy having you on because you, the, the, I hate to use the term, but sometimes the feds use what, what I like to affectionately refer to as baffling you with BS Right. So they'll come out and they'll, you know, say certain things or or they'll phrase it in such a way that it either baffles you or makes you feel like you're OK. And I always feel like I can talk to you and, and you'll give me the straight story. And usually that's backing me off a cliff, too, to be quite honest, because most of the time I'm like, here it comes, here it comes. And you're like, no, settle down, Dave. We're OK. <laughs> so, dude, well, I, I appreciate I always appreciate our conversations, both on the podcast and off. I feel the same way uh, uh, for different reasons. Uh, I mean, I'm very grateful that uh, you reached out and that gives me an opportunity to express my ideas and thoughts uh, to a wider audience and to people who might not have heard as much about it. So uh, I'm grateful for it too and, and grateful for the opportunity to see if what I'm thinking and what I'm saying and what I'm writing is not just impactful but is it credible right and so you can uh you know if i can ex expand on that in a way that people have a better uh, degree of confidence about their own activities and and uh then yeah i think it's great i love it and i enjoy it and i appreciate your willingness to have me on oh dude anytime you know that i'm always down for these conversations so one of the things I want to get into and that we talked about is we want to kind of give three likely scenarios, say, over the next year or so. But before we do that, real quick, how would you gauge where we're setting economically right now as a country? Are we in good shape? Are we in bad shape? Are we just kind of muddling along? I mean, do you have a sense for that at all? Um, the thing about it that's, um, I, I guess, when you look at when I look at what is happening and where we are, and, and, and by 
trying to put that in some kind of historical perspective. I believe our vulnerability to cataclysmic events is much greater now than ever. It's probably at a peak point. Uh, and the best example I give was is the one that I used uh, when trying to define inflation for people. You know, you can only pump so much air into a balloon before the integrity of the of the uh, of that inflation is subject to a pinprick, or you explode it out from the inside. The point is, in, historically speaking, when you look at where we are and the amount of credit that's been used to uh, boost the economy over and over again, um, you know, we run on credit and any kind of uh, implosion of that credit structure will take us into a full scale depression. That's that's the risk. And, and the vulnerability that we face. Then there's all sorts of possibilities that can happen as a result of that. But if you have people that are dependent on fixed incomes, the way, uh, and I don't just mean people as uh, ordinary people, investments, everything else, all our activity, whether you're talking about funding businesses, buying houses, financing automobiles, People live on credit. They, they fund everything. The world functions on credit. But that's what central banks do. They inflate the money supply. They create money. Banks lend the money. They collect the interest. And we use that uh, inflated money to make everything work and go. Uh, but the vulnerability is where we are. We're, uh, we're, we're just... We're exposed. We're at a point where you can only do so much, and it's possible, quite possible, that maybe uh, whatever they can do won't stop this from happening. And the other thing is that people will look at it and say, well, the Fed created this situation. Well, yeah, they did, but they started creating it over 110 years ago when the Fed was uh, organized in 1913, because that's what central banks do. They create money and then they lend it out. All the banks are a part of that. So um, it's been going on. And then everything else they do is to cater to the effects of that inflation. So over time, the volatility increases, the cumulative effects increase the volatility, but it makes us more vulnerable. Right. So you can't, you know, it seems it seems simple to say, well, we're gonna we're gonna raise interest rates and see if we can tone inflation down. Well, they haven't really stopped inflating. They're just gonna make it more costly to borrow money. So right. it's like we're still spiking the punch, but we're gonna charge you for it now. <laughs> Before it was free, all right. It's and like the so, dealer that know, got hooked you on, and, and that's really what's happened. Kind of like the dealer that got so, on crack uh, with a free sample. Yeah, I mean the the leverage here is is a big issue. Um, Rehypothecation is a term that people might have heard before, and all it means is you have an underlying investment or uh, something real, and then you have 
a continual amplification of how that is used and packaged into different products. And so um, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I mean, they do it with gold bullion stored in the banks. They do it with um, uh, treasury bonds. They, they do it with, you know, uh, they create little packages and called derivatives and, and they sell them as securities, but everybody's dependent on the same underlying investment. And at some point, boom. And, and just like we went through in 2008, uh, 2010, that period, you had a collapse in the credit markets because people knew that, um, you know, you couldn't afford a mortgage on a $300,000 house if you were earning 10 bucks an hour at a convenience store, but you were approved. And then when people realized that they had to reset those uh, and people couldn't pay them, you know, the, the credit worthiness of customers, the, the, the free, you know, the idea of building this idea into people in society that everybody deserved to be able to buy a house, everybody deserved three square meals, everybody deserves an education. So we're gonna see to it that you get it. The problem is if you haven't earned it, you know, uh, and then you pay for it with money that was created pretty much out of thin air and you couldn't support that debt. So uh, the vulnerability is I think where we are, the biggest, the biggest issue. We're vulnerable to system-wide problems. It's mm -hmm. not an individual thing. It's more a system-wide thing. Um, and it's, you know, Technology, look at the technology. We are so advanced, technologically speaking, in the last 20 years. What would happen if we suddenly found ourselves dealing with technology on a level that we knew and were familiar with in 1990? How would yeah. we feel? What, what's missing, okay? Right. Most, most people didn't have personal computers yet. 1990 i didn't no no i i i i, I, I uh and then i think of the phones you know the, the everybody just assumes yeah. things are a certain way and what happens when you wake up one day and maybe that isn't there but financially the big risk is uh it's a house of cards it was built on sand originally and the sand is getting washed away. And, and the whole thing is in danger of coming down. And, and they might be able to tweak it. They might be able to convince people that it's not that bad and they can fix it. And they've done it more and more. But no matter how, you, how, they, how well they do at it, each succeeding problem we face to whatever degree of success they have in bringing us back to more normal behavior and activity is always less than the level we were at before. Mm -hmm. And that's been happening for several decades. Uh, economic activity, productivity, uh, value, uh, even on inflation-adjusted basis has been dropping I mean, the cost of price goes up as the dollar continues to lose purchasing power. But if you look back on an inflation-adjusted basis, 
it's cheaper today for the thing we buy relative to 1980 in terms of inflation adjusted dollars right so um we're we're losing on a real dollar basis whatever values we had which means we're headed towards the possibility of something like the 1930s okay so that gives us that paints a pretty good good picture of where we're at as we sit right now we're exposed right i mean there there's no way around that very much we're 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 over leveraged um and and they're probably just maybe a one black swan event away from from you know the trouble catastrophe catastrophe is the word right i i yeah yeah no so let's let's look let's look at the at, at like three scenarios right let's let's look at best case scenario then kind of the middle of the road then let's look at the worst case scenario so over the next year what do you think our best case scenario is for the economy on the micro the, macro level that, excuse me yeah the uh, on a best case basis we can hope that the feds assuming their intention is to support the dollar okay and and improve its and they're doing a pretty good job of that or it's simply irregardless of what they do the dollar is strong you hear a lot about it but the dollar is strong but to whatever extent the fed is successful in keeping the effects of inflation moderate instead of double digit or close to that uh and a strong dollar and restore some confidence then um you know on a best case basis to the extent they can do that we can see um you know activity pick up i mean if we wanted to use a recent example to see well can things how how well can we do let's look back at two, two, 2008 to 2011 if you look at that period even after that when they stopped the damage they did some things to do that that made the fed and the banking system much more vulnerable this time around than before because of the action they took to stem the bloodletting in the credit markets. And, and so it was something they haven't done before. They started buying more than treasury securities. They bought mortgage-backed securities, anything with any collateral obligations. And they had all these things on their books and then they started trying to liquidate them. What that did though, is the Fed was simply saying, nobody else wants these things. They're going to be worthless. We're going to go in and create money and buy them and hold them on our books. Mm. And so it's like, you know, people can think of it in terms of a stock or bond they own and the price is dropping and suddenly a buyer appears and says, I want a lot of that. Okay. And, and so they get the publicity, everything pushes it up. Somebody somewhere along the line there's a balance because there's always a buyer and seller for every transaction but sooner or later you get enough emphasis behind that and enough people who want to buy that 
you know, you, you can stabilize prices. And that's what the Fed did is they stabilized things. Then they had to work on trying to restore confidence and build the level of ec economic activity up. Well, if I don't know, you know, people hopefully can remember, it took over five years to start to see some kind of progress. And it was, we were just starting to hit a reasonable stride after 10 years or so. And what was worrying the Fed then in like 2018 was they thought inflation should be higher than the effects of it. And that was because they were doing the kind of things that should have made people wonder, oh my gosh, you know, things are cheap. Let's start buying some. Um, and that concerned them. So they knew that their activities didn't have the same impact as before. Okay. And so, but then COVID hit. And even though they knew they had to, had to, and then after they shut down the economy, then what they had to do is go in and make all the, uh, recommit the same mistakes they made before, make money plentiful again, and make it cheap and do that, which they did because our economic activity had gone plunged to virtually nothing while we were all forced to shut-ins. Um, so, but getting us back to a certain level and then they came out and said, okay, now we're, oh, each time the impact is less and less and less. Now, now we're in a situation where if they're successful, we will not see economic activity anywhere close to the level we are used to, and that would be considered successful. That's a, that's what I would consider the best possibility. And, and what what do the conditions look like on the ground for the average family? Right? Is it going to resemble what we're, we're we're seeing right now? Um, yeah. And, and maybe more of it. And maybe you'll have more bumps in the road. Um, you know, it's like you're on the freeway and you're going 80 miles an hour. You don't think much of what you look at the time and you say, oh, we'll be there in two and a half hours. Boom, this is great. Everything's smooth. And then different things happen. One, you run into a traffic pattern, mm. okay, that stops everything, okay? Gotcha. Now suddenly, well, you're on the right road. You're on the fast. You're in the fast lane, but you can't go anywhere, all right? Or you you have another part of your journey that involves side roads, back roads, or whatever that you don't have four lanes each way at eighty miles an hour. Maybe it's a two lane highway. Well, you can't go as fast on a two lane highway. Well, that may be the kind of comparison that's apt for what we're looking at. If we want to want it to work, we may have to go in a different direction. And mm -hmm. that direction will likely involve some serious um, depletion in productivity and activity and just to make keep it going and make it work of some kind. So you could very well see some higher unemployment. Uh, you could see uh, again, more uh, more sensitivity to changes. So, but uh, 
you know, it's, it's hard to say because you don't know how people are going to respond. You don't know how individuals are going to respond. You throw in all the other issues that people have today about politics, social issues, that sort of thing. Well, that adds an element that has a big impact on economic activity and productivity. So uh, I don't see things getting a whole lot better than where they are. But I look at it and say, we get up, we go to work today, we do this, we do that. You know, the majority of people are conducting their lives. They're not dealing with crisis after crisis on a daily basis. Um, I think uh, as individuals, we're probably more vulnerable not to something we're doing as individuals, but to a system problem. And that's why I don't think that we'll necessarily see a great deal of improvement in what's happening economically. But for some of us, or maybe for a large enough percentage, we can continue to make things work. You know, as and, long and, as the system holds up. Yeah. And and to me that's that's the saddest part of all. And and that's the part that I worry about the most, right? Is what you just said there. It's not so much what people are doing individually as it is the system, right? So it's almost like right. one of those things of something someone's doing to us. And my great fear in that is that people get angry, right? And that, and I understand right. it's okay to be angry, but it, you, you got to keep it under control somehow. But, but that's always, always my fear, right? Is how, how does the general populace react right in that sort of scenario where where it's something they feel like has been done to you not because of something you did and and i totally get it look if i do something stupid i fully expect to to uh reap the the benefits of those stupid decisions it's another thing when it happens to you right and and that that always concerns me so well, you it, know part of what you i'm sorry go no go ahead well, I would say part of what you're saying there too, if you look at where where you live and observe the activity going on around you, now compare that to what's happened in the inner cities. Mm -hmm. uh, downtown San Francisco, uh, Seattle, Portland, uh, Chicago. Uh, you know, things are a lot different I have right. I, my, you know, my son uh, travels quite a bit. He's a um, an executive with an international food company, and uh, you know, he was in at a business trip to Philadelphia, and they were out out of the city was where their hotel was, and their meetings were out there, and and uh, and he was just talking to someone there. They said, "Look, whatever you do." don't bother to go into the city. <laughs> you don't want to go. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing, you know, all of these cities, the ones I mentioned, I've been to them all. I've, I've walked those streets. I've been to the, the, the clubs and, and uh, the places to eat and, and listen to the music and, and the shopping. And, and I love that, but you know what? I don't want to go there right now. I don't like the way things are. And, and I'm just grateful that, you know, it at this point, that's where it is. Uh, those are the kind of things that bother me. What you can plan all you want and do all the right things seemingly, but 
if we have breakdowns in society on a functional basis, what difference does it make what you, how you planned, you know, financially or, mm -hmm. or that, uh, you know, the Fed pursued the correct policy. So that's where we get, when you talk about the anger, it doesn't matter what the anger's for. It's just the fact that we see more accepting of behavior that's, I don't know, for lack of a better word, antisocial. Right. Uh, we think if we, if we, if things are wrong, we're supposed to make us think about it and we're going to have it one way or the other. And that, that again goes to that entitlement attitude that mm -hmm. because of this, I'm this. And, and what, whatever the reasoning is or the logic behind it isn't the point. The point is, it doesn't matter. It still creates a problem yep. of yep. its own that dwarfs everything else. Yeah. Because they're and, not thinking about that. Yeah. And, and the other thing you said there about just being able to kind of of keep this thing going. I, I'll be honest, I've been amazed. I mean, we had what three or four bank failures this past year, and we barely skipped we, we barely skipped a beat, right? We just kept going. I was like, well, that's that's one hell of a rabbit you just pulled out of that hat. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't doubt their ability to keep putting duct tape on the Titanic, but somehow they do it. But all right, so that gives us. And the they'll, oh, go ahead. They'll probably continue to do that. They'll probably continue to do that. They will try to make things appear as ordinary and normal as possible, because otherwise, they their efforts will go for naught. Um, there, what will happen is we find out there are more bank failures. They will have already been failures technically but not officially right so i'm sure that the fed realizes uh, that um situation so they're not going to be as free to disclose the potential problems they're going to do whatever they can to camouflage it if you will or or make us believe that it's not as bad as they say gotcha gotcha or as bad as it really Yes, it's worse than they say, but they they don't want us thinking that way. I think it's very realistic. We're going to have more bank failures. Right, right. Okay, and if, and if you believe, if you believe, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead. I'm I'm letting you finish up. I get I get I get on my soapbox, and I, no, I was going to say, if you uh, if you want to throw in, uh, just as an aside. For those who uh, are more attuned to it, the uh, conspiratorial th uh, attitude, some of the things that are happening are probably engineered to happen the way they are, at least to a degree. Uh, the reason being, you know, uh, people say what they think is going to get them the attention that they want. Politicians are notorious for that. It isn't that they believe they're going to do something or that they expect to. For the most part, they say what they think is going to get them elected. Wow. Now, just imagine that you take that, take go beyond that point and say, who wants who elected and for what reasons? 
then you start to uh, look at things and you can come up with all sorts of crazy ideas about, uh, you know, why should, why should we suddenly have social violence in umpteen different large cities, you know, in the middle right. of a, a shutdown, you know, and things like that. So, uh, and then with all the revelations happening on a daily basis about what really happened in the election and, and why are people surprised at this? I don't get it. You know, everybody's like, oh, shock of shocks. So, you mean some, there was some collusion involved here? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter which side of the of the political spectrum you're on or where you are on it. If you assume that things are right on your side and that the other side is wrong, then you're not paying attention. Because right. uh, there really isn't much difference in what happens uh, historically from one generation to the next based on who's elected. Right. Uh, we're, we're heading in a certain direction and it's not a good one. Right. You know, and, and look, I don't think it's out of the realm of, of reality to, to just look back at, at COVID, right? Mom and pop shops got shut down, but who got to stay open? Walmart and Amazon. Yeah. Right. And oh, the big companies stayed open. The big companies um, stayed open. Yeah. The little yeah. companies suffered. And, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, that definitely took us a, a good size step in the direction of kind of a planned economy, I think. And um, those who wanted to play ball with the government, they, they got to keep their doors open. Yeah, um, you're, you're correct. Exactly correct. There is a, a you look at things, you, you cannot come up with genuine fundamental reasoning that would explain why certain policies were put in place or why certain executive orders uh, were written and uh, came into effect. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It, it, they weren't trying to make sense of things. They would draw a picture for you, but it was it just everything was out of the lines. I mean, it's okay to go outside the box, but there wasn't anything for people to uh, to hold on to to make sense out of. Uh, it was just literally a comedy of errors. Yeah, absolutely. and I don't think it was all happenstance. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to like the 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 middle of the road scenario. It's not you know the best it could be, but it's not you know utter you know it's not the house isn't on fire so to speak what's kind of the 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 middle that you could see it going uh again that that would be um that would be where we restore things to a reasonable level but it's never going to be quite as good we just can't that's that's that middle of the road with that it's reasonably tame it's acceptable if if inflation uh, rates continue to decline and maybe level off at three or four percent. People aren't going to, you know, scream about it the way they did at, when they were nine and ten percent. I mean, you run two two years at three years at nine or ten percent. You're talking about twenty five to thirty percent increases in prices for goods and services. That 
is clear real e quickly, you know, that there's something wrong. So think back, you know, uh, we had all those years with inflation at rates that, you know, it wasn't an issue. You know, who cared if prices were up 1.2% last year? It didn't matter because our productivity levels and the profits were good and everything was was working. Uh, so will, you know, getting any kind of normalcy is going to be the best we can expect. And it's not going to be great, but yeah, can you know, is it possible they can continue to improve from here? Yeah. Um, here's the problem. We don't really know how bad it is because we're not privy to that information. They won't tell us, here's the situation as it really is. They will tell you how it is based on what they want you to know. And when I say they, I don't care whether it's Fed chairman or the president or even uh, members of Congress. I mean, I don't, uh, there, there's a few people who will speak out. They're the ones who are being subjected to most of the ridicule and the condemnation and the problems. Um, otherwise, you know, it, it's, it's funny, but if you do something that's obviously wrong, but someone wants your intentions and uh, a message to be sent, you'll get the support that you need. But if someone wants to make a case against you for anything, they'll look for the smallest thing and blow it out of proportion. So the problem here when you're dealing with uh, financial and economics stuff is that um, it's difficult to understand what is really happening based on what's reported. I read an article I read uh, that talked at length about how every, and I've, I've, of course I've seen this over the years, but it's amazing. All of the statistics that we're getting are being continually revised, which isn't surprising, but they're being re revised in um, much uh, larger percentages on a month-to-month -month basis. And they're done after the fact in ways that allow them to report a new statistic in a more positive light. Here's an example, <laughs> and, and this is the way it works. You're gonna say, okay, we have to announce tomorrow that um, unemployment went up sharply. Now, we don't want to announce that the way it is. So given what we reported last month, let's inflate that statistics and, and, that, and we'll call it a revision where I'll do whatever they need to. They'll, they're gonna make that number appear different than it was in order that when they make this announcement, they don't have, they don't announce it. It's based on the revised statistics. So maybe unemployment's up 5%. Uh, 
from last month. I'm using an extreme to, to sure. for the example. But we don't want to tell you it was up, unemployment was up that bad. So we're going to tell you it was up. Yes, it was up. It was only up two or three basis last month's number. Oh, but we revised last month's number. See, you don't see those in the headlines. They're usually, <laughs> they'll tell you. They always state it. It's like, okay, things were bad, but they were worse than because we've revised things. And so they're always looking for ways to continually massage these statistics along the way. You may end eventually end up with the, the same, the, a, a more reasonably correct number, but if you're continually massaging them to fit the moment so that you can make an announcement that doesn't make you look as bad, or we're better off than we say we are, uh, and, and it works both ways. It doesn't matter what the statistic is. Well, besides the fact that that's done, that way the other thing is it makes it difficult to believe anything because they are always revising them so how do you how do you know how bad it was or how good it wasn't you know whatever whatever we're looking at um so uh th that's why we get such um such a uh a fired up response when uh, Mrs. Jones goes to the grocery store and finds that uh, she's paying 25% more for her groceries this month than she did last month. No, you're gonna hear about that. Gotcha. And so and that that's, that's real, I mean, it's happened. Regardless of how we got to that point uh, or anything about the reporting, that's real. So that gives people a, a, a gauge, if you will, to say, well, it's a hell of a lot worse than what they're saying, or it's not quite that bad. And it varies from individual to individual. I didn't find it so extreme, but then I had a, and I may have mentioned this before, I had a college professor in one of my classes who said, uh, he's got three young kids. He's 35 years old. And uh, he, you know, he said over that period of time after COVID, his uh, cost for groceries almost doubled, mm -hmm. buying for his family and stuff like that. I think that's realistic for him based on what he buys. And, you know, and that's the thing, we got to take that into account. Um, you know, there was a lot of reasons for that that uh, are, are different and why prices did that. But the point is, it it's different for each of us. And so, but it's real, see? So his, his um, knowledge and experience relative to that are not going to be the same as someone who isn't affected quite the same way, who has a more flexible income or has some other things that take the pressure off, you know, where you have relatively fixed expenses other than groceries, you don't notice it the same. Right. But for a young family like that, when you don't have a lot of income, what the biggest chunk of his flexible money is his grocery budget. So, um, 
So he's going to notice that. So it that's real stuff that you can't go by. He said, oh, inflation was up at an annualized rate of 7%. To him, you say, look, if it was only 7%, I'd, I'd be happy as a lark. But it was a lot more for him. Right. And and maybe that would explain also what we could what we'd potentially see as conditions on the ground, right? Is is maybe kind of for lack of a better term, gaslighting where where we get told it's not so bad, but then mm-hmm. we but then we see something completely different on the ground, right? We we see something completely different at the store. So I, I think that gives us a, a pretty good picture there. And that takes us to the the kind of the nightmare scenarios, right? Is is where we're going to go next. And and let let me ask you this before we get in there: what kind of events could cause that that nightmare scenario? Um, one uh, would be the bank failures you talked about. That would definitely be one. Um, and and part of this, it's a combination of two things. One number of banks and the size of the bank failure. But it doesn't have to be a lot to trigger that scenario. You could have, I mean, that's why uh, the Silicon Valley Bank was such a big deal. It was like not huge, but critical funding for the Mm -hmm. kind of projects that are very, um, uh, they're a very critical part of economic activity, but it was the number of banks who were tied to or had relationships and associations with them where that it may, the vulnerability, you know, you talked about the domino theory before the domino theory. So that's where a big enough bank, but a bank that's placed in a way that makes others vulnerable, critical. Kind of that contagion aspect, right? Yeah. uh, You know, your your small neighborhood bank is not going to create a problem for the system. Wells Fargo, that's a system problem. Right. right? So Silicon Valley Bank is not on the same level as Wells Fargo, but they were big enough to be, uh, you know, be the largest, I think, or, or close to it. Uh, bank failure and uh, and have an impact that went uh, far beyond what it looks like on the service. Uh, so, you know, that's that's one thing that could cause the bank failures. And uh, another, the stock market could be a trigger. That's the stock market wouldn't cause it, but. Um, uh, wholesale collapse in stocks usually that would usually come after the fact a sort of a recognition economic activity in 1929 had been declining for the better part of a year before the stock market crash because the fed tightened interest rates long before the crash itself gotcha now if you want to talk about scenarios there's one uh, whatever the logic or reasoning behind it, raising interest rates after a period when everybody was used to cheap money and free and easy money 
and then suddenly holding back on it, well, uh, your economic activity really started to decline and it was declining on a worldwide basis. So by then, and of the events in, uh, in Europe, people were aware of that. So, and there was a great deal of holding your breath, waiting to see, are we really going to be able to keep this thing going? Well, then you had the stock like market crash. That kind of sounds like today, right? Because like- Well, it, it's very similar. I, like I'll scroll through, like every morning I have a routine, right? I go, I, I, I go into my office, I fire up the laptop and I usually have 10 or 15 minutes to just kind of peruse- the headlines and there's holding your breath seems like a very apt way of putting it because there's just talk out there, right? Are we heading for a recession? Is this what's coming? But it just sounded familiar. Yeah, very much. And also, you know, there's another part to that, that this, and this is the one I keep uh, thinking about, you know, we bounced back from last fall if you just look at the action in the stock market uh, and uh, you've seen things seem to pick up a little bit and uh, people's optimism improves and, and their confidence. And, and in 1929 to the spring of 1930, after the stock market crash, things got back to a level that looked like maybe, uh, you know, not not quite the original highs, but maybe they recovered between eighty to ninety percent. That that's fine, and and then people were starting to hire again, especially the wall, the banks, and the Wall Street, the the brokerage firms who had laid off in mass right after the crash. They were starting to hire. People were getting perked, uh, and uh, and then stocks dropped beginning in the spring of. Uh, uh, 1930, and by two years later, had lost 90% of their value. Right. Price wise. <laughs> so, so you... um, go ahead. Sorry. It, you know, it, it may get better. It may get better, but it doesn't mean it will stay that way. So, let me ask you this Do you see, will this be gradual, you think, or do you think this, you know, this will be sudden and, and kind of, not really expected. I don't know. And I don't think most people do. Anybody really knows. Right. Um, I, I'll tell you why. And it's what we talked about before. I don't know how individuals will respond. I mean, even when you're looking at it, um, because, and, and there's, there's, there's different players here that, uh, it's like it's a volatile mix so you have to think all right is there is this an accident is it planned is there something uh you know that's going to move us to that uh that point regardless um as individuals it's out of our hands no question about it but here's 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 where i see um the mix changing as something happens. Let's say there is a collapse. The reaction by regulatory agencies and the government is more of a concern to me than the crash itself. 
Right. Because what they do and the policies they put in place, the actions they take will say a lot about whether we can get through that and get back on our feet again and get moving or we can't. We just simply can't or that they extend it. That's what happened in the Depression. Right. The policies of the government and the actions, they made things worse. If you look at it purely on a, on a fundamental economic basis, jobs programs simply take people who would be working somewhere else. They take money and, and labor away from other projects, even if it is at a lower level. And all that did is mean that we got that job done. You know, there were these people put to work, but think of what other jobs would have been done because the economy will adjust some way to that. So, and then it was the continual spending on top of it. You had a deflation. The dollar was worth more, not less. People didn't have as many of them because you had this washout of financial values. The prices all dropped. So, there was there was a destruction of money. There wasn't an excess of it. It was just the opposite. And that means you could buy more because the prices of everything drop. Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon, and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the slightly rowdy package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the stirring it up package where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret Flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the Pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today. But you had 25% unemployment. And what was a million dollars might be only worth 50000 You know, what your stocks, you lose 90% of something. And there was a lot of leverage in a lot of these investments. So people lost everything because they were buying as much as 10% down stocks. Banks were loaning people, loaning retail investors 90% of the price of the stocks they were buying. Not in all cases, 
But that's how ridiculous the leverage was. So it doesn't take much to wipe you out. A 10% drop in prices and you don't have anything. Right. Um, so for a lot of packaged programs that were sold to retail investors that were leveraged internally in, within the package. So, uh, you know, the, the developers and the promoters made a hell of a lot of money, but then when it all collapsed, everybody lost. So, but what's the reaction gonna be? If the Fed goes in and, say, and the government says, we're buying everything we can get our hands on, we're going to make sure everybody gets money, we're, and they do like they did after COVID, that could destroy the dollar. Their reaction to a deflationary collapse. You got the collapse itself, and the collapse is simply the alternative from hyperinflation. If they've already printed enough to carry us to that directly, we could have hyperinflation if people respond that way, because a lot of it has to do with people's response to that increase of money. So you have hyperinflation, but I think the credit collapse is a more likely scenario. So the real risk then, you can say, well, there's a risk. Do we have hyperinflation? Do we have a credit collapse and deflation? Regardless, you're gonna get a reaction from the government and the Federal Reserve. And they're gonna do whatever they think they need to do to restore order, not necessarily to make things right, to mm -hmm. restore order right, and to protect their own career and position. Right. No okay. politician is going to come out and say, we're not, we're going to do things the right way now. They're not. Right. Okay. So, so let's look at those two scenarios, both a, a credit collapse and massive deflation as you, as, as you were talking about there. Right. Let's look at both of those. You know, what does that look like? You wake up one morning and what does what does a, a, a credit collapse look like for somebody who, like well, I just described, they go in, they fire up their laptop, and let's just say it's sudden. What can they expect to see? What would what would unfold? Okay. You know, you just go back to 2008. Okay. You wake up one morning, you hear on Sunday afternoon that large brokerage firms are no longer there and other firms have been swallowed up by a larger bank like Merrill Lynch with Bank America. You've got a couple of firms that were bailed out directly by the Fed and yeah, companies like Allianz and uh, what was that? Not Allianz, but what was that? There's that... Um, large insurer, AIG, uh, and others. And then you've got companies that said, this company needs to stand. We're going to find a way to keep them going. Another company goes under and takes the hit, and they're no longer there anymore. Um, you're going to see that kind of uh, situation. If you look at what happened to interest rates and bond prices on the, uh, over a period of two or three days, there was this huge spike in interest rate and, and, a, and a corresponding drop in bond prices when all that was announced. And then when the Fed announced how they were policy-wise, what they were gonna do and all the, the corrections to it, 
rates went the other way and bond prices went up when the Fed said, we're gonna buy mortgage-backed securities and stop this uh, bloodletting. So that's the kind, then you couple that with some bank failures. Mm -hmm. The combination of that, it, what I'm concerned about is that it will overwhelm whatever efforts the Fed comes up with. They were able to save the patient in 2008 from cardiac arrest. Resuscitation was there, everything else. They stopped the bleeding. They got the, got him back to a certain level. I don't, I don't think they can do it. If we have anything similar to that, I think it will overwhelm their efforts that we will see a credit collapse and that we won't see an immediate restoration. Mm -hmm. Meaning you'll see the price of all financial assets just like that lose half their half their value price wise done what does so that i think that on the order of 80 percent before it's over though what does it look like when you try to go to the bank and, and withdraw money at that point that's difficult to say how bad is the banking is it a, is you know you had some banking holidays in the depression because it was widespread enough to create that, that you know, people will hear or see about it here. Now, the other thing is that people were used to using cash. We don't anymore. That's how they get around the obvious. It's like, hey, don't even bother. They'll just close the doors. That's <clears throat> part of the movement to get us all digitized. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to have cash. So I don't think. I mean, that's my feeling. I don't think mm. it's for. I don't think it's uh, progression. I think it's regression to more power in the hands of government. That's my attitude. I don't. I don't want them controlling every aspect of my life. No, but that's where we're headed. Yeah. No, you're right. That digital dollar thing. That's spooky, because then they can yeah. see what you're spending it on. And nothing will make uh, a fat guy like me ain't more angry if I try to go buy a cheeseburger and they say I've had my allotment of cheeseburger. <laughs> but I don't know how critical it a bit, but but it may be that you buying a cheeseburger uh, at your local fast food franchise will be uh, not be affected the same way more critical things will be. Right. And again, it's hard to say. Because it depends on how dependent people are on aspects of the system. I mean, even around us now, you know, I, I walk around, small businesses are very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, and even some of the larger chains that have gone out of business since COVID. Yeah. I mean, a shutdown of, of some kind uh, changes everything. So, um so the longer that lasts, then it, it's like, how, how deep of a hole do you dig before you stop digging? And then by the time you're done digging, how long is it gonna take to restore that and bring us back? I don't think it's gonna happen 
any sooner if we have that. I can't see a restoration that will be any easier than what happened during the depression. I think if anything, it'll be worse. And I think the I think the reactions of the Fed and the government will be worse. The ironic thing is that people will clamor for that. They will insist that the government do something. And that's when we really have problems because then they will start restricting activity. Right. And, and uh, promoting, you know, all through the depression, the government fought the fact that the prices of things had dropped. They couldn't, that was against everything that the Fed and the banks do. You can't have deflation because it destroys the money they've created. So they can't collect the interest on loans. Loans go belly up. They can't, there's, it's done. And there's nobody to loan to because nobody qualifies. There's no, there's not activity to support the lending. So deflation is the worst thing in the eyes of the banks. To whatever extent the banks are tools of others who don't care about that, I mean, again, if you're looking at the conspiracy side, I'm not saying all this to be, say that it's one way or the other. I'm just pointing out the fact that there, there are a number of possibilities and every one of them adds a, diff, a new wrinkle to the story. And so when something happens, it's hard to say what it will be, but I don't think it will be any easier. I think it will be worse. So whatever happens will be worse than anything we've experienced, and it will last longer than anything we've experienced okay. in at least two or three, a couple of generations. So that's just a credit collapse, right? That's, that's what we're talking about, a credit, but that's so critical because everything, all our activity is, is funded by credit. Right. Right. Where an individual might be able to do something, but for himself. But remember the way the Fed dealt with things in the Depression and, and the government. They issued regulations that restricted people's financial and economic freedom. What would you do if that happened? It might not matter what you think you do because there might be a law against it. Right. Because the Fed and the government are going to do what they think is in their best interest, not what's in your best interest. Right. They, you know, no matter what they say about the economy, they're not working for you. They're working to preserve their own system. Right. So I, uh, you know, no government is going to willingly say we've corrupted society, we've ruined the economic model and we've destroyed the dollar yeah not so really we're going to do not, they're not going to do that yeah and they're not, not going to give up control that they have over every aspect of our life they're going to spend more money create more money create more problems and restrict more activity to the point where they control and tell you that's what their goal will be that's where they'll be moved right so what does what does massive deflation look like? Um, that would be like well again, 
it'll be like the depression. Expect the prices for everything would drop by anywhere from 50 to 90% and stay there. Meaning, and, and again, it depends on where the money is, but if you own assets, a house, if you own a car, if you own uh, stocks or bonds or anything that's denominated in dollars and you have a deflation, that asset is gonna be worth less in terms of the number of dollars. And the prices of the things that you pay for will drop correspondingly, but not proportionately. So, uh, and that's because the governments and the, and the banks will resist that. See, if you fight it, if the stocks drop 90% and the economy craters and bond prices drop and you have bankruptcies, bank failures, unemployment, and you go to the store to buy your groceries and you'll find that when the groceries are there, they might very well be cheaper. They could be more, but that would be more because of disruptions in the supply chain, not because of purchasing power. But if you wanna sell your services to somebody, there would be huge downward pressure on wages. And that's what the government fought. They tried to support wages. They tried to get people to hire people back that they had laid off. Well, the system's got to cleanse itself. If you put all that pressure back in there, you're simply fighting the inevitable. And that's what made it last so long because you couldn't purge all of the ills that had accumulated because you were trying to stuff the same stuff back in again. Why did you get sick? Well, because I took the wrong stuff. Well, here's the wrong stuff again, so you can get better. We're <laughs> going to spend more money and we're going to put more controls on it. You know, we're going to create more debt and we're going to buy stuff that the economy says we don't need, but we're going to buy it because that guy's out of work and then it'll give him a job. But then all the other things that needed to happen don't happen and you get stuck and you go nowhere. And so it lasted longer than it needed to. It would have been severe, but it wouldn't have lasted as long. Yeah. It would have been back on the road. Uh, those are those are horrible scenarios. And and here yeah. here's here's the unfortunate part though. I'm I'm not sure there's any avoiding that an iceberg like that. I say that and 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 the Fed has pulled out. I don't want to say to their credit cuz I I don't think it's healthy what they did, and I might be wrong there, but they've pulled a few rabbits out of their hat from time to time to to avoid certain things. But at some point, doesn't the piper just have to be paid? I, I feel that way. I, I don't see how not. I mean, uh, uh, that's what we learn. You can't, there, the accounts have to be balanced. I mean, I basic accounting. If you don't balance those accounts, if you don't balance your checkbook, I mean, uh, sooner or later, it catches up to you. You either have the money or you don't. And is the money that you have credible? Is it is it worthy of acceptance? Um, and is is a uh, is a house that's worth a million dollars today and was worth a um, hundred thousand? 
15 years ago. Is that realistic? No. You know, or 20. I, I, I mean, when you look at the prices of certain things relative to the effects of the inflation that we've experienced, they're totally disproportionate. I'm not saying it's wrong to have bought them. I, what I'm saying is that they were funded with money that wasn't there because most people bought them with mortgages. Now you've got a bigger, a bigger portion of houses being bought with cash by the ultra wealthy. Well, that's not the majority of the public, you know, it's not like, and so, uh, but you're, you're, again, even if you take an aspect of the credit markets and say, here's a reasonable basis of fundamental economics and finances and, and, it, and it works and it's not totally outlandish, it's still part of a bigger system. You know, you can do everything right in the kitchen of, of a ship that's sinking and you everything's spotless and perfect it's <laughs> it's not going to keep you from sinking with the ship gotcha you know, the galley the galley is not going to save you right okay it's not um you know i heard the reference made and i and i realized it was catastrophe i'm only saying it but it's like as somebody made the reference once when they were talking about all of the actions surrounding governments attempts to make things right and, and uh the reference was is somewhat like sweeping the deck and straightening the deck chairs of the titanic i right. mean when, when that ship went down it didn't matter everything went with it and that's what we're talking about here when we're successful we are so at a point now where everything goes when it when something happens or you know the rising tide lifts all boats you know we see that happen so often um but you'll see more spotty indications that there's something wrong uh, you might see uh divergences in in stock averages you know of certain stocks more uh exploratory developmental stocks research oriented stocks those be the ones you think would be the most vulnerable and you may see other stocks that do well but the broader average would still probably decline eventually everything would be affected so it's again it's another, it's a possibility, it's an alternative, but I think it is just as likely to see that as there is to see hyperinflation. Right. And, and I don't think that, that the, the odds are any greater that they can um, pull a rabbit out of the hat and make it work for a while. I, I, I you know, the, they're all possible, but I think uh, it's a bigger risk that we're going to face that cataclysmic event and have to deal with it. And it's going to be worse than anybody's ever anticipated. And it's going to last longer. And that's where I would say that the probability lies. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So we went over those three scenarios. And, and I'm glad we did. Because I, I feel like having those on the table can kind of set 
set the be a placeholder now for for this next part of the of our discussion and you brought this up to me um a few weeks back and we were talking about this that there's there's a service you provide that i find is probably really lacking in most financial services right and let's get one thing out of the way right now kelsey is not going to tell you what stock to buy correct correct that's not that, what those this, days are on <laughs> yeah that's not what this service is what this service is and and kelsey jump in here anytime if i get this wrong is you would come to kelsey and you would you would kind of have a list of questions and you'd say look i'm worried about this what are some things I can do to kind of mitigate my personal exposure? Does, is that is that pretty close? exactly I, everything I do? My writing is all geared to tell the story from a different perspective. I want people to hear about gold and uh, things about inflation and uh, the Federal Reserve in a way that. I believe is more credible uh, and more fundamentally correct. But when I think of people out there and I see what they're reading and what they're hearing, I don't feel like that it's realistic to a large degree. So when you plan financially, we all plan based on the assumption that the system's it's what I do you know I have to uh, you know uh, plan fundamentally uh, using correct principles and I practice you know what my planner or my broker or advisor told me and so you know I'm saving regularly I'm investing regularly and I'm I'm buying stocks over the long term. So that all those things are fine. It's that's that's not an issue. I I'm not it isn't that I might not when I sit down with somebody say, okay, wait a second, you're you mentioned all these things. Here's one thing you might want to be aware of. Not that that's why we're doing any kind of consultation. I want people to stop and take a second look at things and say, look, if you really think things might get bad, do you think that what you're doing is gonna work? And is there much or anything you can do to protect yourself or at least minimize the risk? And maybe it's just a matter of being prepared mentally because, you know, when we were, uh, I remember one time, talking about something years ago to somebody and and uh and here's the way it is and exp expressing the safety of the of the transaction and all of this and, and they said well what if the russians bomb the depository i mean it's like okay you know there are certain things you can plan for and other things that you just have to say i don't know <laughs> i don't know what would happen but now we're talking about threats to the system that affect almost everything everybody is doing. I don't think you'll find people out there who are thinking about the fact that they own a home and then they also own two or three other homes 
that they think are gonna protect them because the dollar continues to lose value, which is fine. But I had clients a couple decades ago who were buying a lot of real estate at one time and they got overextended, things went in the tank, boom. And, you know, it's horrible. You know, the, the shorter term can ruin everything you're doing. I just want to be able to bring some of these things we're talking about to the table for people. And maybe it's just questions that they have. And they might say, I'd like to talk to someone about these things. And I want to talk to someone that's not, doesn't have a vested interest in what I do with my money. Gotcha. Do you want to, I don't want to manage your money, but I'd be happy to offer some time and answer some questions and explain some things that maybe they need an answer to. But I would definitely be looking at it in the context of the discussions we have had on these podcasts. So so let me let me ask you this. If someone wants to reach out to you, what kind of questions do they need to have ready for you, right? Because it's, you know, what what, well, what kind of information, I, you know, they should know, they should pretty well have some questions in their own mind. I mean, either some questions or goals or something that says, okay, I mean, what's the basis for me to to try and talk to you? I'm not going to uh, just take on a, a full-fledged review of things. I have to know what your concerns are. I have to know what somebody really is thinking. You know, somebody might say to me, look, Kelsey, um, I don't own any, own any gold and you've talked about it. I hear all these things about it explain it to me should you know what's realistic and and you know so we're looking at it in general or maybe they want to know more about some of these scenarios we've talked about how would that impact them what if you're a small business owner you know we we talked about that nobody knows for sure but you need to walk through things in a way that somebody can say look if you woke like you said you wake up one morning and you what if you wake up one morning and you turn on your computer and it there's nothing? <laughs> I know that sounds extreme, but there's 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 not too many possibilities we shouldn't at least consider. Right, right. And, and so part of that is that you get a little more conservative. It isn't that you stop doing one thing, it's that you, and this is something that I always told my clients when I was a full service financial planner years ago. Nobody makes mistakes by doing the wrong thing. They make mistakes by doing something to the exclusion of everything else. Mm. So that being said, okay, do you wipe everything out that you've been doing for 20 years and look ahead and say, oh my gosh, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and, and forget? No, I'm not, we're not saying that. What we're saying is be open to the possibility that things might not happen the way you think. What if the Fed doesn't lose, really does lose control? Maybe they have. Maybe you haven't been told the truth. Maybe things won't get better, but they will get worse. What will you do if they get worse? And some of it's very practical. You know, we've talked about certain extremes, but maybe it's just waking up to the fact that, you know, if drop stocks and bonds lose 50% of their value and stay there 
for the next 10 years and unemployment goes to 20%, will you be affected? And how will you be affected? Gotcha. And, and part of it is just starting to think more. I'm not, I'm not trying to, looking at it from the standpoint of saying, I'm going to answer all your questions and here's exactly what you need to do. I'm saying, hey, here's some warning flags. Here's some things you need to be aware of. There's construction up ahead. You might get delayed and it might be a much longer delay. So, right. uh, you know, it's very general and macro oriented, but gotcha. it will relate to our conversations. It will relate to gold, it relate to inflation, the Federal Reserve, that sort of thing. Tell you what, I just had an idea. And and if you're not prepared for this, this is fine. But how about this? How about we just role, role play this a little bit? How about I come to you with some questions and, and I'll make up a scenario of who I am and ask you some questions. And that way people can kind of see what to expect. Are you down for that? I'm okay. That sounds good to me. Okay. Kelsey, I am a small business owner. I own a survey company that's got 10 people. Um, I love every one of my employees. They're like family to me. I'm I'm seeing some stuff that looks kind of shaky, right? I, I the 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 market doesn't necessarily um, fill me with confidence at the moment. There seems to be wild swings. My goal is, is I want to be able to to, if possible, keep as many people as I can employed because I I like my people. I I've, I've groomed them. I've trained them. I I want to make sure that I I can do the best by them I can. That said, with everything out there. What what are some strategies? What are some to to weather some economic storms coming? Whether that is you know um, a, a you know really kind of just a downturn with with inflation and maybe a slowdown in work, and then also what what do I do if if you know heaven forbid you know there's a credit collapse? What what are some stra things first I should look for, and then what can I do to to kind of protect? the business, and then ultimately my family? I would look at it this way. First of all, you need to separate your business from your personal, from at least initially, and say, okay, what's the bigger concern to you? Is, is, is it your business, uh, small business, or is it your overall situation, your home, your family, your longer-term plans? How big of a part is the small business of that. That's your company, but how big of, uh, of a part is it? Is it, is it um, a tool for earning income? And then you have your plan around yourself and your home and your family, or is it pretty much your life? I mean, you know, some people, their business morphs into this, uh, uh, mini conglomerate sometimes, or it gets expands in a way that it becomes everything. That's everything that they have their money tied up in it. Some people do that with employers. So what I'd say to you is how dependent are you on this? If suddenly you had to lay off everybody, what is that? How does that affect you personally? So, you know, some of this is emotional. Some of the, you know, the degree of emotions involved. Wanting to do the best by them is great. That's the kind of employer you want to work for. They, he cares about me. 
and and that's great. So we can look at some things that way, but um, you know, again, part of this is there's an unknown. Is it likely that you can continue to work and do these things? Well, for the foreseeable future, there is. So how do you protect yourself? What do, what are you trying to protect? Protect. Do you want a stash somewhere that you can come in and say, look, I can keep you on the payroll and pay you because I had put some money away? That's an aspect. But then what? how much do you want to commit? And then does that interfere with your own personal goals and, and things? So, um, And then the next thing is, in the context of the big picture, what are we trying to protect? If someone says, you know, if, if they have... Uh, a, a, an asset base that they're concerned about, then we look at that and say, okay, how, do, how does some of these scenarios affect somebody's stock portfolio? How does it affect, uh, you know, what if this happens? What, what's going to be there? And what are you doing in other areas? Do you have some compensation? Does somebody, you know, one of the biggest things I find and that see the way we're headed and I say, you know, and I said this for years, just have some cash on hand. So you never know what's going to happen. You never know when there's going to be an emergency. And, you know, you can't depend on everything else being available or working. So have a little cash on hand and know that you can put your hands on it. And you need some reserves in the bank and, and in checking and stuff like that. I mean, those are general principles. But again, if there's a bank failure, you have any cash on hand? If the banks are closed even temporarily and you have an emergency, or what if, if you get stuck out on the freeway and somebody comes along to help, you want to be able to offer something? I, you know, those are sort, they don't, those are common sense, practical things to me, but a lot of people don't think about them. And then again, when you put it related to the rest of this, okay, how much gold should you own? What form? of gold should you own? Are you a speculator or do you just want to know that you own real money and you know and know that you can touch it at some point if you want to, it's safe. Um, if there's something that happens, can, uh, can this, uh, can it be minimized in terms of the effects for you if you take some action now? Or are you at the mercy like everyone else is? Sometimes it's knowing and understanding the relationships without knowing the answers, just so you know that the possibility is there. You start thinking a little differently than what you would. Then you're not surprised the same way. And maybe you can handle or deal with it better. So, and, you know, if, if, if it's someone who has enough employees that they want to make it worthwhile for them, it's like, hey, come in and, and talk to your employees. You know, maybe you say, look, I've got, I've got 10 or 15 people who would love to have you come and talk with them as a group and, and do something like that, those kind of things. Uh, not really looking to speak before a large audience. I... I like working with individuals and talking one-on-one, -on -one, but a small group of people, oh, I'd love to answer questions. That way that you can get a group. Somebody, you have a question? Give me one question. Everybody submit a question. Here's 10 questions. I've got 10 people come in and talk to us. Just answer our questions.
Perfect. I don't know. Does that make sense? That that does make sense. Yep. So have some cash on hand. Make sure I'm compartmentalizing well. Find out what's most important to me. Is it my own well-being and my own family, which it would be. And then then, you know, start looking at, at ways of, of mitigating that. Right. And and see, you know, again, somebody might come initially and say, here's what I want to know. And it might be totally different from what you and I just did based on what their concern and questions are. So right. I can vary. I think it's a, just more a matter of perspective. You know, right. um, I'm going to talk to them a little differently than somebody else would because, uh, you know, it. the idea is to help them see things differently than they might otherwise and be able to uh, confidently pursue what they're doing without being... Uh, shocked if something doesn't work out quite the way they had thought because well, they're aware of some other things well and and that's one of the the things that i've enjoyed about our conversations that i'm super excited for for some of the listeners to maybe take advantage of is talking to you has changed my perspective on a few things right i thought i understood a few things and after talking to you i realized well i i may have missed the boat here i may not have fact factored in x or y and and that changes you know some of the even some of the assumptions and even some of the questions i have and so i find getting a perspective a, a different perspective on those things will will often raise new questions right will will make me think right. of, of of other things and and i think that's the genius of the system of, of not system, the, the genius of the service that you're, you're offering here is that this, this gives people to kind of reexamine what they know or what they think they know. And once that perspective has been changed, it may change how it is you decide you want to go forward in, in doing just some of those things we talked about, how to protect yourself a little more, how to mitigate certain risks and what you can do going forward. So that that change in perspective is so important. And, you know, certainly I'm guilty of this as well. You, you Sometimes you you read certain things or you hear certain things and you glom onto that. Right. And, and you're like, well, that's the way it's got to be. But that's not necessarily the case. So that change in perspective is super healthy. Yeah. So, yeah. So because I know a ton of guys, you know, a, a lot of folks in my audience are, are private business owners. <clears throat> so, and and oftentimes as I've talked to them, just one-on-one, -on -one, just kind of shooting the breeze, if you will, they'll they'll tell me some of their concerns. And I'm like, I don't know. That's why I talked to Kelsey. <laughs> but um, so so a lot of the, the, the folks in this audience would be coming from that perspective of, of small business owners, how do I protect my family and then my business, those sorts of things. So I think the service you're offering is going to be absolutely incredible. What what are you looking to charge per hour on this, Kelsey? Um, my, my basic fee is uh, $250 an hour. I would normally have a four-hour minimum, but that's assuming that, you know, I'm going in somewhere, somebody 
it, it, it'd be a little more uh, detailed and, and intensive, but I, it, it, for what we're doing here, I wanna bring it down to two hours as a minimum, which is $500. And it basically is, again, it's, it's time. You're, it's like, you're hiring me for two hours. What do you want to know? And and what? But I want to. I want you know that means that someone needs to think about this beforehand because I'm I'm going to respond to an individual according to the individual's concerns and needs. It's not a uh, universal thing where I just go in and talk about stuff. I'm not. I want it to be personal. I want it to be something that's worthwhile to someone. And again, they're the ones that will determine, you know, how it's applicable or not. And I may get requests or, or questions and say, look, I don't know whether I can help you. You know, I, I, I've turned people away for stuff before because I want it to be realistic for someone. I don't want someone to say, well, I didn't really get what I thought I would. Or I, I want to say, what do you want? Tell me what you're thinking about, what you'd like. I'll tell you whether it's realistic, you know, and say, hey, let's do this. We'll schedule it, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, there, there are different, the, the amount of number, whether if we're just talking about individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis, two hours, 250 an hour, $500. That's, that's it. That doesn't mean it can't be, we can't do more. It's just that I want it to be reasonable enough that somebody can say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do that. But you need to have some ideas in your own head, some thoughts about what you want. What, are, what do you want to hear? Uh, I'm not going to tell you just what you want to hear, but I need to have some way to respond to you, realistic, that fits and is appropriate for your situation. What are your concerns? What do you want to do? And then I can, you know, answer them the way we've talked about here. Perfect. Whatever, whatever will work. Yeah. So, so imagine these conversations, Kelsey and I, and I have had, and I think we're up to four or five now. But um, um, imagine these conversations, but tailored more to your to your situation, so that we're not. We're still going to, you know, Kelsey's still going to talk on the macro, but it's going to be macro tailored to your specific situation. And he's going to illuminate. And there's a certain. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. There, there's a certain amount of detail that may be there, too, that won't be in our discussions because we don't have we're not talking about a, a personal situation. So it may take more time. You know, it may, it may be a little more detail that'll work for them. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, let me ask you this question. In, in, in your ideal case, when someone was finished talking to you, how, what, what would they walk away with? Um, I want them to walk, walk away saying, thank you. I've always wondered how, how that worked or I've all, I, I'm looking for Something that when they read an article, when they hear something from from an advisor or somebody else talk, how does it really relate to them? You know, it could be a common theme or something like that. Uh, it could be something from a personal standpoint, but just being able to have them feel like, okay, this makes sense. Now I now I understand it. 
Um, or and and very similar to what you have said uh, uh, is that was it worthwhile? Do I have a better feeling about things? You know, do I do I feel more comfortable uh, making a decision now because of what we've talked about? Uh, just ex the idea that uh, I've maybe I've uh, kicked open a door that nobody looked behind before. And now they have a better feel for where they are and where they're going. Perfect. So, Kelsey, if they want to get a hold of you for this, how do they do that? Uh, the the most direct is just to send me an email at kwilliams at kelseywilliamsgold.com or go to my website, kelseywilliamsgold.com. And there's a little paragraph with a link about my services, and they could just click on that. Whether it's interviews, consulting, whatever it is, there's a little paragraph, and there's a link, and it goes right to my email or my website. And that's that's probably the most the, the best route. It's highlighted, and just do that, and ask some questions, or if they want to talk they can and that's the best way don't try to put a ton of stuff in an email because it makes it more difficult sure so just put and something simple in there and we'll go from there perfect and if they want to read your stuff first where do they read that at oh yeah kelseywilliamsgold.com uh it's called kelsey's gold facts but the url is kelseywilliamsgold.com all my articles are on that site. Um, and uh, then there's, you know, my books are there and uh, all the links to different pages that I post on and some of the other things I've done. So uh, all of it's on the website. That'll give them a pretty good overview. And they might find answers there. Just going there and reading a couple articles might have a big impact, either answering some questions or triggering some others. Right. You know, and, and I'll say this, I've been very careful on this podcast, never to put a, a product or a service or anything else out there that I didn't absolutely believe in. Um, because quite frankly, I've developed a, a relationship with my audience and I value that relationship highly. And, but this is one that I can get behind wholeheartedly. And, and, and in some ways, Kelsey's idea here, has been an answer to my prayers in some way because so often I've wanted people to be able to have the kind of conversations with Kelsey that I have because I, I feel like his perspective is needed more now than ever and it is worthwhile because it's going to give you the tools to navigate uh, and I know this sounds nuts, but I really do love my audience. I really do. And and it's weird. And I know it sounds kind of woo-woo or whatever, but there are certain times I can feel the audience and I, I want them to be protected as much as possible. And that's why I'm offering this on, 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 on the podcast is because I, I feel like it's, it's needed. And I'm just going to shoot you straight. I think something wicked is coming our way. Um, economically i don't think we can keep doing what we've been doing and not bear the repercussions and i would hate to have to lay my head down at night and say is there anything else i could have done for the folks who listen to this podcast 
to maybe help protect them. And so when you came to approach me with this idea, I was 100% on board. And I would just encourage everybody to go read Kelsey's stuff. Um, you can sign up to get notifications, if I'm not mistaken, every time a new article comes out. Get with Kelsey, get your questions answered, and you'll be able to make better, more well-informed decisions. He's not going to tell you what to do, which is something that I find value in, because everybody's situation is going to be unique. But you're going to be able to get a different perspective on things. You're going to be able to have the kind of conversations Kelsey and I have had here, more tailored to you, and then you can make that a matter of prayer. Talk to your to your spouse and then figure out what the best way of going forward is. So please reach out to him. It's it's well worth the money. Um, if if tomorrow, you know, if someone was to ask you, if you could spend $500 and protect, you know, or let me rephrase that. You could spend $500 and get the perspective you need to help guide yourself through some rough economic times and preserve some of what you've built. I think that's well worth it. So Kelsey, anything else before we wrap up, man? I'm good with things. Uh, as usual, it's been a lot of fun, it a very really enjoyable has. experience and uh, looking forward to the next time. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Bye everybody. Thanks, Kelsey. You bet. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.